0: Little kids eat paste, but nobody eats the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. The podcast that proves recycling stuff doesn't work. He almost beat the sun in a staring contest. Almost. It's Medicare expert Doug Jones. Well, 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 look who's here. It's the audience. Thank you for joining us today, ladies and gentlemen. It's another exciting, thrill-packed episode of the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. We are here to help you feel confident and comfortable with your impending transition to Medicare, or if you're already on Medicare, we hope to find a little bit of levity buried somewhere in that huge government program, and uh, if we're successful, then uh, perhaps We will come back for another episode in the future. In the meantime, as Drew McMillan, my Canadian nephew, probably told you, I am Doug Jones, your Medicare expert. What I did for you was to write a book entitled Medicare for the Lazy Man 2023. And then I sent the transcript of that book to Amazon.com and to BarnesandNoble.com. And now they have turned it magically into an actual Home, an actual volume of incredibly helpful information about Medicare. They put it on sale so that you can tap into that incredibly helpful volume of information anytime you wish. I would suggest that you go to Amazon.com because they've got the widest range of editions. You can have the the Audible book wherein I do all the work of reading and turning pages and pronouncing the very difficult to pronounce words you don't have to do a thing but sit back and listen you can also purchase the kindle or the ebook version which is a very very attractively priced uh version of the book at about uh, three dollars and eighty cents the workhorse of the whole uh collection is the paperback which uh, you may have for $8 at Amazon, $9 with colored illustrations at uh, barnesandnoble.com. And finally, Amazon has the crown, the crowning glory, the piece de resistance, the $22 hardcover edition of the book. It is just a fantastic creation. I can't thank Amazon enough for their generosity in helping to create such a beautiful and collectible piece. $22 $22 Medicare for the lazy man, 2023. And uh, I have just been told about an interesting um, criminal act that occurred in uh, the Randy Carson family that uh, he's trying to deal with right now. I I don't know if lawyers are involved or not, but I know it's going to be uh, a subject of conversation around the dinner table for quite some time to come. Randy, are you able to share that with the audience? Uh, the the uh, horrible yes, I, act
1: it, it's a criminal act i i'm i'm really not sure i want to talk about it but i will uh ultimately it involves my grandson he's uh, 3 years old uh and he has he was playing like an airplane at at the daycare center earlier you know with his arms out and unfortunately some other kid didn't watch where he was going and smacked into my grandson's finger and scratched his face. Yeah. Now it was worth a call to my daughter, and I, I think they're considering bringing in the Phoenix police. I don't know.
0: There's a, there's going to be a report, a lot of paperwork, and uh,
1: yeah, this yeah. this
0: is going to go on to his permanent record. I understand. Yeah, yeah uh, that's yeah. Th- are you going to need to hire a defense attorney in order to represent him?
1: i may i may it's it's one of those situations where you just don't know yet uh i mean you know as you know back when my uh my uh, i was down at that age group uh ultimately i could have lost a foot and uh-huh. you know in a corn picker and my mom would have just covered it over with mccure Chrome and sent me on my way
0: at that age i was being taught how to mow a lawn with a power mower <laughs> <laughs> and uh, frankly, you know, life is a little different today. Uh, some kid accidentally walked into your your grandson's finger, and now he's got an owie. And playing, that's
1: playing airplane. Yes, that's uh,
0: cause for horrible concern. That, uh, we that's have to... cause
1: to start a whole row of paperwork. That's that's cause for doc- contacting my daughter at work. Oh. I, I okay. This is just a little bit over the edge in my book, but hey, that's just me.
0: Well, I understand. I'm with you 100%. If you guys need some support, uh, if you need character references or whatever, I'm happy to do that. Um, I may need it. And at some point, we're going to get to the uh, part of the CDC uh, volume of uh, nomenclature where we address criminal activity. And yes. we might have some we might have some new adjectives for your grandson. But in the meantime, we have worked our way up to non-U.S. born persons Slash immigration status. That's our category for today. For the CDC's suggestions about improving the English language, apparently we're burdened with just a uh, an English language that just hurts the feelings of people all over the place. And so their goal is to change everything that we say and do, so as not to hurt the delicate feelings of people who are out there. In this case, it's going to be non-U.S. born persons slash immigration status. And so here are the things the CDC does not want us to say anymore. Do not say illegals. Do not say illegal immigrants. Do not say illegal aliens. Do not say illegal migrants. Do not say foreigners. And certainly do not use the term the foreign born. So we're not allowed to say any of that stuff. And The CDC is, is paying a lot of their their uh, executives and uh, staffers to come up with uh, new terms for people in this category. So let's start out with this people with undocumented status. How many syllables is that people with undocumented status? That's a lot of syllables to use every goddamn time that you want to use the term illegal Um, mixed status households, immigrant Or migrant. You can use those, but above it, it said don't use illegal migrant. So are they telling us that all migrants are legal now? That seems like it's uh, uh, treading down or trotting down a path that we don't want to go down because that means that there are no borders and that all of us are going to be able to live here. This country will be flooded with people. I don't think that's a good idea. Asilee. Never heard that term before in my life. I think they just made it up. Or asylum seeker. Asylee. A-S-Y-L-E-E. No such word exists, to the best of my knowledge. Refugee or refugee populations. And the final segment here is non-U.S.-born persons or foreign-born persons. But up at the top, they said, we can't use foreigners. We cannot use the foreign-born But yet, down below, they're telling us we can use foreign-born persons. I don't understand. Uh, They have some notes here. Use accurate and clearly defined terms when referring to foreign-born persons. For example, do not use refugee if you mean immigrant. Aren't the immigrants kind of refugees from the places from whence they came? The term alien, person who is not a citizen of the United States, may be stigmatizing in some contexts and should only be used in technical documents and when referring to or using immigration law terminology. Non-U.S. born or foreign born persons may also be used to refer to individuals born in a country other than the U.S., similar to the international immigrant concept. The term migrant farm worker or migrant agricultural worker is often used to refer to persons who travel from their home base to another location within the same country or from one country to another to perform agricultural work. And finally, if combining subpopulations in writing ensure that American Indians and Alaska Natives from tribes located in what is now called the United States are not included in the immigrant category. That's probably the stupidest thing they've said in this whole uh, document. I'm on page four and (laughs) they've had plenty of time to do really, really stupid uh, things, but that is maybe the dumbest thing. You have to make sure that American Indians and Alaska natives from tribes located in what is now called the United States are not included in the immigrant category, but where did they come from? I think they came across a land bridge from Russia. So they did immigrate. It was just 50,000 years ago or, or less. So I'm, uh, I'm very perturbed. Uh, This is not what I, uh, you know, what I do is I call them all wetbacks and that sounds like a pejorative, but The U.S. government had a classification. If a person swam across the Rio Grande, they were in the classification of people who entered the country by that particular means, and it was known as having a wet back. Cubans who come to the United States will either have a wet foot or dry foot status, meaning if they are stopped before they actually touch land, they have wet foot. They are uh, in the wet foot classification. If they manage to make it to dry land and they're standing on the beach in Florida, then they are in one of the keys. Then they are dry foot and they are able to fall into a different, more benign classification. So I'm saying my term wet back for all immigrants is uh, the one I'm going to use until somebody comes up with a reason to stop me. Okie dokie. I had a whole curation going on here. The content curator for this episode was doing a magnificent job. She she had her uh, her uh, highlighter flying across the pages, and she was uh, picking and choosing the most pithy parts of the things that we needed to know about. When all of a sudden, I got an email from our friend Roy. Roy said, "Oh my God, look what I just found in the Wall Street Journal. I think you could probably make use of it." So we cleared curation off of the table threw it all on the floor and immediately i printed off roy's contribution to our um our uh, episode today and i wanted to uh, attack it i believe the the content curator told me there might be a landmine buried in this thing so i think it's going to be more interesting because it's going to be um it's going to need a little correction from me is my understanding so the title of this uh wall street journal article is the five biggest mistakes people make when picking a medicare plan. I can't think of anything more uh more uh, related to our medicare uh content here. And it's by some Furner who's probably a wetback, I can't even pronounce the name. It's multisyllabic first name and multisyllabic last name. If you're thinking about retiring or already covered by medicare you might be overwhelmed by all the choices out there. No wonder so many people make poor choices about their plan. At the same time, those mistakes can be disastrously costly. Healthcare matters more the older we get, and we also need more of it. With that in mind, here's a look at mistakes people make all too often when selecting Medicare options, how they can make better choices, and what types of plans this person recommends. Mistake number one, underestimating the cost of traditional Medicare. First, let's get some jargon out of the way. Traditional Medicare, which is offered by the government, has three parts, A, B, and D. It isn't a typo that I left out, part C. So she goes on to say, part A covers, I think it's a she anyway, part A covers care for inpatient hospital services, among other things. Part B covers physician services, and I would add this is Doug talking, outpatient treatment of any kind that's testing, that's emergency room treatment, um, any place, any treatment you get that you're not uh, admitted to a hospital is going to come under Part B, which is outpatient treatment. Part D is in dog is for prescription drugs. We'll cover this later. The big appeal of traditional Medicare is that you can visit any hospital or doctor without a referral or prior authorization of services. This can be very attractive if, for instance, you have doctors that you trust, if you travel a lot within the U.S. uh, and you might need care in different places, or if you think that you might benefit from treatment that a private insurer may deny. Yet many people don't really weigh the options when considering traditional Medicare. Instead, they choose it without, well, actually choosing it. The reason is Social Security. If you claim Social Security before age 65, as almost half of Americans do, the Social Security Administration automatically enrolls you in traditional Medicare when you turn 65. As such, traditional Medicare for many is the path of least resistance. Traditional Medicare, though, may be a bad fit for your needs and your wallet. The plan's flexibility comes with significant costs. True. Part A premiums are often zero for those who have worked for at least 10 years, Um, and Part B carries premiums that are based on your income. For most people, the Part B premium comes to about $165 a month, but can rise to over $500 a month per individual if your household modified adjusted gross income exceeds a lot of money. With traditional Medicare, meanwhile, a hospitalization, with some exceptions, is accompanied by a $1,600 deductible. Likewise, a hospital stay longer than 60 days. So here's the deal with uh, Part A of Medicare. If you get thrown into the hospital, you owe $1,600 as a deductible for Medicare Part A. The first day you're in, then you get 59 more days that are completely free of charge. The Medicare program will pay all. Part A charges for you. No further deductible or cost sharing until day number 61. Well, I got if I've got to be in the hospital for 60 days, I think a $1,600 deductible is going to be the least of my concerns. So uh, let's see. Uh, a hospital stay longer than 60 days carries a $400 co-payment per day, and a skilled nursing facility stay longer than 20 days will cost $200 a day. You will also be responsible for for 20% of the Medicare-approved cost for physician services during your hospital stay. Not if you buy a Medicare supplement plan, like I'm constantly telling people. All of this stuff can go right out the window if you buy a Medicare supplement plan. And um, I'm going to suggest that maybe you buy that plan with the assistance of your old Uncle Doug. Anyway, this kind of cost-sharing can break most retirees, a breakthrough cancer therapy like Key Truda, don't even know what that is, uh, has an annual cost of $150,000. So a patient would have to pay $30,000, but a typical Medicare beneficiary has an income of $35,000, annually leaving just $5,000 for taxes, housing, food, and everything else. Okay. Mistake number two. Well, that was a mouthful for mistake number one. Mistake number two, underestimating the cost of Medicare Advantage. Ignoring costs can go the other way, too. Some will choose Medicare Advantage plans without really understanding the real price tag. Let's untangle a bit more of the jargon. Medicare Advantage is an alternative to traditional Medicare. You must first sign up for Medicare Parts A and B. Then you can sign up for a Medicare Advantage plan, often called Part C. It's usually a bundle of A, B, and D, that's uh, the drug plan, delivered by private companies that are approved by Medicare. These are insurance companies. Be careful, though. Some Medicare Advantage plans don't include prescription drug coverage, so be sure to check. Medicare Advantage companies often tout zero premium plans. Some offer out-of-pocket expenses lower than traditional Medicare and are often zero. What's more, Some plans cap the out-of-pocket expenses at a total of $9,500 for combined in and out-of-network coverage. The details depend on the plan. I don't know of any Medicare supplement that would even come close to exposing a person to a $9,500 out-of-pocket limit per year. That just doesn't exist in the plans that I offer to my clients. In addition, Medicare Advantage companies are paid a fixed amount of money each month by the government. Ah, that's the part they don't talk about. So the companies have a strong incentive to reduce their costs by providing more generous coverage for medicines that keep you out of the hospital. Okay, so some positives are slightly misleading. Zero premium applies to Part A and D, meaning that you're still paying the Part B premium. Meanwhile, those cost savings on out-of-pocket expenses only apply if you stay in the network. If you go out of the network, meaning the plans, list of doctors and hospitals that uh, they're willing to pay for, things can quickly get expensive, like having to pay 20% coinsurance on a hospital stay. If your hospital stay costs $40,000, you're on the hook for eight grand. This in-network and out-of-network distinction limits where you can go both where you live and in other regions, which can make Medicare Advantage the wrong choice. If you need access to a particular doctor or hospital, or spend a lot of time in different parts of the U.S., some Medicare Advantage plans will cap your financial exposure to out-of-network use, so pay attention to the amount you will incur. If you do opt for Medicare Advantage, you will also need to do some homework. It's not that easy. The typical Medicare beneficiary has access to around 40 Medicare Advantage plans in their area, and most do a lot of heavy marketing. So choosing carefully is important. The HMO options are the cheapest, in part because they charge when you are out of network for non-emergency care, and they want uh, a referral for a specialist visit followed by the local PPO plans and then larger PPO plans. If you're not traveling a lot, and if you're happy with the doctors and hospitals in the HMO plan, then you should not pay for a PPO plan. Mistake number three, choosing traditional Medicare without Medigap or Medicare Supplement. Medi- Medigap, supplemental insurance sold by private companies, helps traditional Medicare beneficiaries pay for the cost sharing in Parts A and B. For instance, one Medigap plan in my state of Massachusetts, ah, oh, for Christ's sake, that is the worst example in the world. Massachusetts only has three Medicare supplement plans available, and two of those are the only ones available for people, Um, you know, normal people turning 65 now. Only older people can get the third plan. It's like a plan F. It's just not available to older people anymore. Uh, But Massachusetts calls them core and supplement one. And that's just ridiculous. So the person using Massachusetts as an example is a completely ignoring 49 states where they don't even recognize what Massachusetts does. So continuing on, for instance, one Medigap plan in my state of Massachusetts carries a $200, $220 monthly premium, covers the hospital deductible. $1,600, $1,600 and the nursing facility co payment for over three months. Yet, almost 10% of people who choose traditional Medicare don't have any supplemental coverage. All right, that means that 90% of them do. So, anyway, you can get the supplemental coverage by purchasing a Medigap or Medicare supplement policy through Medicaid, which depends on income, that's welfare, ladies and gentlemen, or through an employer if you're still working and the employer offers one. Many people simply don't know about Medigap plans and are confused by the choices or don't have the money every month to spend on them. I believe this author is confused. And uh, perhaps the author should read my book about Medicare for the lazy man. Going on, obviously, this should leave you exposed to high costs if you can't afford Medigap premiums, Then pick a Medicare Advantage plan. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I specialize in helping people get Medigap or Medicare Supplement at an extremely reasonable cost that almost everyone can afford. The specifics of Medigap can get a bit confusing. There are 10 types of plans. I believe that there are actually 11 plus 2 permutations. They are also called Medicare Supplement Insurance and they vary in the degree to which they pick up the cost sharing in traditional Medicare Medigap a through D and then F and G. And finally K through N those letters though, have nothing to do with your Medicare parts a B and D cost sharing. Just remember this all Medigap policies with the same letter cover the same set of things. And then of course, here's the uh, little aside the author throws in there. If you're confused, you're not alone. Even with a PhD, I had to look this up all the time. So that's the author talking, not me. I don't have a PhD. Making things even trickier to figure out, Medigap is regulated both by Washington and the state, so plans work differently in different states. That's not true. It goes on to say the federal government's Medicare.gov site explains the differences in Medigap plans and allows you to see Medigap premiums you will face based on state age, gender, and whether or not you smoke. Okay, that's uh, <laughs> that's not the place I would go to get a, a, a description of the cost. I was on the Massachusetts site yesterday. Completely wrong information. Completely wrong. So, ladies and gentlemen, I would ignore this part of the article in the um, uh, Wall Street Journal. Mistake number four, forgetting to get prescription drug coverage. How can you forget to get prescription drug coverage if you've got an advisor that's going to help you through the process? Well, that's me pontificating again. Let me go on with the article. As with Medigap, many people simply don't know a basic fact about Part D of traditional Medicare. You aren't automatically enrolled in it along with Parts A and B. You must actively select this plan, which covers prescription drugs. Not doing so can leave you stuck with the cost of prescriptions for yourself. And not choosing promptly can also cost you, you have only 63 days after your initial enrollment, in medicare to enroll in part d if you miss this window and don't have other drug coverage some people may get it through an employer for instance your part d premiums will be permanently higher that's what i call a lifetime late enrollment penalty part d premiums are tied to income with an average cost of forty three dollars that's not true at all my clients pay an average premium of maybe $10 a month, not anywhere near the 43 that this author is talking about. Like other parts of Medicare, there is a lot of choice in Part D plans. Medicare beneficiaries in New York, for instance, can choose among 19 different Part D plans. 28 in Arizona. These plans aren't all the same, and it, it's all too attractive to choose the ones with the lowest premium, which means that people have to spend more when they're sick. That's not true. People spend more when they fill a prescription, not when they're sick. Small expenses like five and ten dollars on prescription drugs have been shown to discourage patients with chronic diseases from taking lifetime medicines leading to hospitalization and death. Okay, that's <laughs> I think that statement speaks for itself. i'm I'm really, um, I can't blame my friend Roy for the inaccuracies in this article. I can only say, Be very skeptical when you read articles like this. So mistake number five, not checking out your broker. And let's just assume that that's Uncle Dougie, your insurance broker who is licensed in all 50 states plus the District of Columbia. The article goes on to say sorting out all of that takes a lot of work. So it's understandable that one in three Americans turn to insurance brokers to advise them on which plan to choose. Here too, Things aren't as simple as you might think. Brokers can be extremely helpful, but routinely neglect to tell their customers that they are paid four to $500 per enrollee by insurers, often to sell more expensive plans, which creates a fundamental conflict of interest in the advice they provide. So if you go down this path, make sure to ask them questions about their incentives. The plans they're not telling you about and whether the discounts they are offering you will dry up in a year or two. If you asked me to simplify things and suggest a choice that would work for most people, and this is the author of the article talking again, not Uncle Dougie, then I would encourage you to pick a Medicare Advantage plan that has prescription drug plan attached to it. Pick a plan that limits how much you can be charged for out-of-network services, and don't buy one with limits that you can't afford. If you're filing your taxes jointly and are fortunate to have more than $250,000 in income, uh, consider traditional Medicare with a Medigap policy that covers all of your Part A and Part B care. It will be much easier for you to weather the costs and you avoid the hassles of tracking when you go in and out of network, as well as getting prior authorizations. People with lower incomes could afford this choice, but make sure that level of coverage suits you. Also note that neither traditional Medicare nor Medicare Advantage cover long-term care in a meaningful manner. Almost all of us will need this care, and we will have to save to pay for it or ensure that our families will provide it. One good strategy for saving is a health savings account, HSA, which allows people with high deductible health plans to set aside pre-tax dollars to pay for qualified medical expenses. A good resource for advice is the State Health Insurance Assistance Program, or SHIP. They operate in all 50 states and offer free counseling and assistance to Medicare eligible individuals and their families and caregivers. You can find the office closest to you with this search tool at shiphelp.org. The government tries to help reduce the complexity of Medicare choices with its star ratings of plans. That's only for Medicare Advantage plans, and for drug plans, not for Medicare supplements. But research has shown that high star ratings do not tell us whether a plan will improve our survival or not. Well, how could it? This makes choosing a plan in Medicare very hard to understand and manage. It's even harder for people who have dementia or who are in a nursing home or both. All of this information means more work, but ensuring you're properly Protecting your health and your pocketbook is worth the effort. Uh, so this this author of this um, rape is a professor of business administration at Harvard. Okay, well that tells me what I need to know about the quality of a Harvard education. Randy, I am pretty disgusted by all of the inaccuracies in this article that was um, published in the Wall Street Journal. I'm just well, uh,
1: obviously this professor from Harvard is out of his element.
0: His or her, I can't tell from the name. It's uh, some, uh, let me look at the CDC list, some person of foreign extraction.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. So so it could be a non-woman or a non-male. We don't know.
0: Precisely. Or a non-binary, okay. whatever.
1: Okay. Well, yeah, there is that problem. But bottom line is, I don't think if I was him or her, I would be writing an article on something I very, clearly didn't know very much about
0: it's disappointing to think that a harvard graduate is um falls prey to such confusion and uh, it's just unfortunate that that's going to be taken for factual uh and correct information in too many circles
1: well and on top of that it was didn't you say it was published in the wall street journal i sure did yeah they're really on top of it too i see well not
0: today apparently
1: <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, that doesn't surprise me because, you know, like I, op- like I always say, if it's on the internet, don't believe everything you read because you don't know who wrote it and you don't know what their ax was to grind.
0: You're absolutely correct. There was an so ax, anyway. I believe.
1: Yes, yes. So anyway, we need to, We our 75 cents is gone, Doug. That's really hard to believe, Randy. We need to land the plane and bring the bus into the station, however... Before I do, I always like to mention Doug's email address. He gets so excited in the mornings when there's something for him to read. You can send it to Doug at dbj at mlmmailbag.com. Excuse me. As Doug said, he's licensed nationwide to help you with your Medicare supplement or Medigap planning, wh- whatever you know it as. Or you can check us out at medicareforthelazyman.com we would really appreciate you finding a place to give us a review on the podcast and or the book. Just a couple words would be awesome. It doesn't have to be anything long and laborious. Just say, I like this book. I like this podcast, it's good enough. But last but not least, we wanna thank you for joining us. You could have been a hundred different places and you weren't, you were here with us, joining us at Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. And ultimately, we really appreciate you joining us. We didn't have to shish anybody. We didn't have to do anything today. It was just really, really pretty much calm.
0: Yes, that's the way we like it.
1: (laughs) So anyway, talk about, I think we talked about time uh, blindness in an earlier episode. Yes,
0: we did. Yes, we did.
1: If you happen to be one of these individuals that is time blind, let me help you with that. You have just spent about 32 and a half minutes with Doug Jones, the anti-insurance insurance guy, originally from Oklahoma. No more. He's ha- camped out in the high mountains behind Cave Creek, Arizona, with, as I said in last episode, with his Army surplus watch.
0: What's my altitude, Randy.
1: It is coming in today at 15.7.
0: Oh, boy, that's a tough one. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. We'll look forward to having you again at our next episode. Bye bye.